Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. And I'm Thierry. Welcome to the final episode of season one here at Luxembourg podcast. On this occasion, Kim Schumacher is back for a follow-up episode. Kim is a highly regarded expert in the ESG field, and that's why we invited him back to the podcast. This is a great opportunity to look back at the previous months and see what has changed in our guests' field of interest. There have been a lot of changes following the COVID-19 outbreak, especially in areas relating to the environment and, of course, social topics. Yes, a lot of topics have come to the forefront, such as the new EU taxonomy, working from home, or cleaner air after lockdown. Kim will highlight all the benefits resulting from the acceleration of those key events. But now, without further ado, our conversation with Kim Schumacher, lecturer at the Tokyo Institute of Technology. Hello, Kim. Welcome back to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure. It's been uh, it's been a while since we last spoke, and uh, obviously my my first question would be, what have you been doing since we talked last year in London? Well, recently, of course, I've been staying inside most of the time, as the doctor recommended. So, uh, uh, yeah, given the COVID uh, uh, disruptions and the COVID crisis, yeah, mostly inside for the uh, first half of this year, but uh, ever since uh, the second half of last year. So since we last spoke, uh, I started a new position uh, as a lecturer in sustainable finance and ESG uh, at the Tokyo Institute of Technology in Japan. So uh, yeah, now I'm uh, trying to uh, pass on my knowledge, but also further research in this domain. uh, uh, And this exciting domain is emerging area of finance, but generally uh, the move towards more sustainable uh, economic systems and financial um, financial sectors, banking sector. Since we talked last year, how has the area of your so sustainable finance area and the ESG investing has this generally been evolving uh, since actually we talked we talked last year in, in London? Well, uh, I think one of the most evident things in terms of environmental impact and which was quite tangible was uh, forest fires. Uh, I think we we first uh, in, during summer there was the Amazon fires, which even now during the pandemic are still ravaging, and apparently have even intensified uh, in comparison to the same period last year. But uh, in summer of two thousand nineteen, uh, the Amazon forest fires, and then it was the Siberia or like in Russia, uh, massive fires, and then of course uh, in the later half of two thousand nineteen, the Australian bushfires which dominated the media, which uh, pretty much uh, brought the environmental impacts and the environmental calamities of climate change to the forefront and showed us directly what the direct impacts are. And uh, although now climate emissions are uh, halted for a little bit with, for example, most of air traffic, but also economic activities uh, having slowed down, uh, that does not mean that we basically can... uh, can become uh, complacent in uh, our activities. So, with that bearing in mind, like yeah, like for example, forest fires, but generally uh, massive environmental impacts, also around plastic pollution, um, uh, still melting of the Arctic, uh, 
biodiversity loss, massive biodiversity loss, a uh, lot of species affected by different climate impacts. Uh, that has pushed um, sustainable finds and ESG investing much more to the forefront and has also uh, brought uh, more urgency towards policymakers, uh, especially the European Union, which um, with its high-level expert group or technical expert group on sustainable finance, uh, they have uh, gone from the theoretical to the much more concrete by uh, publishing actually some of the legislative proposals actually became law, uh, most notably about uh, benchmarks and uh, disclosure of uh, climate impact. So large companies, but also financial institutions now need to report on climate-related risks and climate-related impacts. Uh, and in addition, for example, benchmarks, they need to follow tangible goals in terms of reporting. So they cannot just say, uh, report in any way they want. They need to follow certain rules when they report, for example, their carbon emissions, but also, for example, the risks that, uh, for example, sea level rises have on their activities. They need to be much more transparent and uh, uh, they also need to follow uh, certain rules, certain benchmarks, and uh, more important, even at the end of the year, uh, the European Commission with the European Parliament found an agreement on what is called uh, a uh, uniform framework on uh, what is actually green, on green activities, uh, what is called uh, the taxonomy. Basically, it defines what activities can be called green and which ones cannot, uh, meaning so that you cannot just go out and label, for example, uh, uh, internal combustion engines like just regular cars as green, or for example, coal cannot be labeled as green. So it is to prevent greenwashing. So basically just uh, economic actors saying or financial actors saying my product is green when in reality it is not. So that is a very important step and it has been approved, there has been consensus and that is now... Uh, uh, has passed and that will also enter into force uh, at the end of next year, at the beginning of 2022. So those are massive uh, changes, massive uh, uh, developments in this field uh, that happened uh, while we, uh, in, the, in the meantime, uh, between now and when we last spoke. Do you think that um, everyone has uh, contributed um, in, in changing their attitude uh, the same in 2019, or have there been any players where you think that you know they could do more uh, going forward? I, I that's a very good question, and I do believe uh, that uh, we see now. So since there has been a push uh, with basically what we call physical climate risk, so basically the physical manifestation or materialization of of climate impacts, forest fires, the most obvious, but also sea level rises or melting. With those becoming much more apparent and much more tangible for a lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, actors in the financial sector that formerly were not necessarily known for their progressive progressive attitudes have now moved into the space. Uh, most notably, for example, BlackRock, uh, one of the largest uh, uh, one of the largest traders in the world, asset managers in the world, notably not, uh, most no, uh, notably known for passive. Uh, investing strategies, uh, ETFs, uh, electronically traded funds. So they have now committed uh, as one of the major uh, investors uh, to follow uh, sustainable finance principles and, and ESG, uh, ESG or in, integrate ESG factors into their investment decisions. 
uh, it remains to be seen how uh, how earnest this uh, move has been because we have already seen that despite these claims, they still, in many cases, for example, defy climate-related resolutions uh, in shareholder meetings. So they usually go with the, the, the companies or with the managers that want less progressive uh, policies uh, and less progressive uh, business models. So that's, it remains to be seen how, how earnest, how honest this is. But uh, we see now basically everyone, every major player in the market uh, formulating an ESG strategy or a sustainability strategy. And uh, uh, it, it remains to be seen if ESG is the new CSR. So basically everyone just, just uh, putting nice pitches in their annual reports, but uh, in terms of materiality, not necessarily putting a lot of action behind it. And uh, But some, some actors... Um, try to to move that way uh, there as an uh, an institu- institutional investor uh, group that goes that way and uh, tries to manifest but there's always conflicting things so it, it, it always seems like two steps forward and one step back and uh, that is that is one of the things that, that that concerns that can be concerning because is it fast enough is it sufficient to for example reach the Paris climate agreement goals or the sustainable development goals? that we set ourselves for 2050. Uh, uh, currently, it is not. Uh, that is very obvious. It's very clear. However, if the pressure becomes high enough, and now also with the market showing that we're slowly moving into a direction where uh, integrating environmental and social and governance factors, so uh, integrating sustainability in your uh, investment decisions or into your business decision-making actually has benefits in terms of return, but also in terms of risk mitigation. So we see actually a lot of ESG products outperforming their peers, their non-ESG peers. So uh, that will probably be the stronger incentive to move uh, in that direction. And what uh, regulatory developments have you been observing in Europe and obviously globally uh, based on, on all, um, all outcomes now? Yeah, so one of them uh, that I already mentioned in the uh, a little bit earlier on is the uh, EU, which is the major, uh, the major, let's say, proponent in that space and and pushing the most for more uh, comprehensive and progressive policies. Uh, of course, that is always uh, these policies are always a consensus between. Uh, different uh, different uh, groups, different uh, stakeholder groups, and there's always a lot of lobbying involved as well. Uh, but uh, I have to say uh, it is it is the, probably a, a quite still a quite progressive outcome uh, despite there being heavy influences and uh, uh, with from, from industry stakeholders as well. And uh, could it be as could it be more progressive in terms of uh, addressing environmental issues? And especially avoiding greenwashing, yes. But is it a good step uh, moving forward, at least establishing some mandatory frameworks? It's definitely a large step in the right direction. Because before, you need to know, there were only a lot of voluntary frameworks. Uh, the most noted one being what we call the TCFD, which was created uh, in 2015, or which was basically brought to life in 2015, 
by the Financial Stability Board under the direction of uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg. And uh, they uh, basically created uh, what is called the Task Force on Climate-Related uh, Disclosure, climate-related uh, uh, climate-related uh, climate financial disclosure. And they basically uh, set a framework of what, uh, how should we report on climate-related risks? How should we assess them? For example, establishing metrics uh, and then establishing a strategy and then uh, creating instruments and tools to manage those risks and then finally reporting on those. So they basically set that up, but it was only voluntary. There were a lot of uh, financial institutions, investors, but also companies who said we support the TCFD, but uh, there were large discrepancies uh, still in the reporting process. And it was more, uh, a lot of companies felt more, uh, let's 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 uh, use the reputational boost by saying we support the TCFD without it necessarily amounting to a lot of action. Uh, so that is definitely a large um, uh, uh, step in the right direction. So what what were the main the four main uh, uh, policies that have been decided? First of all, it's the taxonomy. So basically, creating a list of what activities can be considered green, so for example, renewables, obviously, uh, and in transportation, electric vehicles, but what can, for example, not be, that is coal or oil. So anyone who invests in those uh, activities cannot now cannot say anymore, they cannot claim that, for example, their fund, which primarily invests in, uh, uh, for example, in... Um, uh, coal and gas, or no, coal and, and oil, cannot claim anymore to be green. So that is a very important uh, development. Then uh, the second one was a green bond standard. So basically, uh, you have a lot of investors, fixed income securities. You have a lot of investors uh, trying to invest in projects. So not necessarily a, a company or so, but a very definitive project. Or, um, and they now uh, also need to basically rely on the taxonomy. So if a project does not fall into the categories that the taxonomy sets, for example, if it does not mitigate climate change, or if it does not help uh, avoid uh, biodiversity loss, or for example, if it does do significant harm to the environment, despite being, for example, a renewable energy project, like an, uh, an, a dam, a hydro dam, for example, then it does not qualify as green. So you cannot issue a green bond and then uh, start financing coal or gas, uh, uh, coal or oil or uh, harmful projects with those funds. So that is very important. Then the third one is uh, the uh, benchmarks. So basically clear benchmarks that need to be, uh, for example, index providers need to set clear benchmarks, uh, for example, in terms of carbon reductions, what thresholds do they set uh, currently, one of the benchmarks is 100 gram of CO2 equivalent per kilowatt hour produced. That just means if you are above that, then you will not qualify under taxonomy. So you have different benchmarks for different sectors uh, and different metrics, of course. But uh, it basically sets uh, clear, uh, clear, verifiable uh, benchmarks and metrics for different sectors so that you can actually verify the data that is being published. And then finally, t talking about data reporting, you need to become much more transparent. You need to report on environmental, social, and governance impacts, especially climate-related impacts. So those are some of the things that are now covered by the EU. 
And then globally, so some countries have been more uh, vocal about their uh, reservations towards the EU taxonomy because it will indirectly impact them. Uh, for example, Japan is one of those countries which has had more reservations. Other countries said they would follow, for example, the EU's example. Uh, notably, for example, Malaysia has considered using the EU's um, frameworks as a uh, template for their own sustainable finance-related uh, frameworks. Uh, so we see different movements in there, but one of the major movements globally is now uh, by created by the ISO, which, uh, full disclosure, I am part of two working groups that currently work on global standards in sustainable finance and in green finance. That is the Technical Committee 322. Uh, and they are working on an, uh, a global standard for uh, sustainable finance. And then there's the, uh, the Technical Committee 207 about environmental management. And there's a sub-committee, a sub and a working group that works on green finance and on assessment of uh, um, assessments of green projects, assessment of impact of green projects. So those and there you have a lot of countries represented because you need to be a nationally nominated member to be part of those. And then so you have uh, different countries and it goes very strict uh, procedure about making comments, about making suggestions about the writing process. And so it, it will eventually be in agreement with all the countries that participated. Every country on the world that is uh, registered with the United Nations can be part of that process. And I'm the representative for Luxembourg uh, in those. So that just to say that is the main global uh, tr uh, development right now. And of course, we will look also at what happens in the EU to uh, get inspiration for what is uh, uh, what works at a global stage. As, as you know, the podcast is about Luxembourg and um, we've talked about all the global implications that are happening at the minute. But going back home, so going back to Luxembourg, our essential question is, how, how will these developments essentially affect Luxembourg businesses and the financial institutions? Generally speaking, I think Luxembourg is pretty well, is, is set up pretty well to, to deal with those. And uh, just to, to, to say, I, I, uh, I'm currently working with uh, a major financial institutions based in Luxembourg to work out an investment strategy. And uh, uh, so they, there's a, there's a uh, very sincere will to move uh, in the direction and to stay compliant and even to stay ahead of the curve in that regard. Um, a lot of is, for example, said about uh, Luxflag, uh, the, the labeling agency. Uh, I am, uh, being, being, being a scientist, uh, I usually try to base my uh, opinions on based on data and on the data that is publicly available. Uh, and there I have to say, and that I even communicated that in the past uh, quite openly, is that uh, I have my reservations because, for example, if you go to their website, uh, it is quite hard to, to, to get the more granular data. And, and definitely there's uh, labeling agencies in Europe uh, and globally who, who do already a better job in being more transparent. However, I do think that... Uh, uh, they do a good job in scaling the market. Uh, that is also sometimes very important to bring people on board because uh, if you have very strict rules and regulations uh, and you, you have no one who wants to follow them, that serves nobody, nobody uh, as well. But I think in the, in the near future, being more transparent would definitely be a good way to go forward. And I think that will also happen with the EU regulations. So it will definitely impact Luxembourg as well, being becoming more transparent and being more, much more upfront about impact, for example, 
currently what we say, you, ha- you make a difference between ESG investing. ESG is just, I consider environmental, social, and governance factors. And if good impact comes out at the end, that is great. However, uh, with impact investing, it is the impact. So it's basically a post-implementation that is much more important. So basically getting tangible results and then measuring those results is much more uh, uh, important. So I think we're moving more towards an impact-based model. And that is where Luxembourg definitely still needs to ramp up its capacities, especially in terms of human resources. And uh, 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 so that will be important in terms of expertise. Getting more people who are, have knowledge about this uh, uh, area, about this space, and uh, basically people who uh, uh, also know, for example, how to implement the regulations at a, in, a, in a proper manner. So that will be one of the key challenges for Luxembourg. But I think there's definitely a sincere will to, to move into that direction. There's a lot of activity. So uh, if we can get more science-based knowledge into the mix, uh, especially with the large financial uh, and and also the other ESG providers, um, auditing firms, consultancies, then I think we Luxembourg is pretty uh, well uh, uh, well established or well versed in, to, in towards moving forward uh, with Luxembourg Stock Exchange with the entire ecosystem. I think the the foundations, the very strong foundations, are already there. From a sustainable investment perspective, what Opportunities as it has COVID nineteen brought into all the disruptions that that we've experienced so far. I will first go into um, the um, the learnings that we had, and then leading into quickly into the opportunities. There's three major things that we learned that is very relevant to the ESG sector from the COVID. We learned first of all the importance of expert knowledge. So again, and I say it, I will repeat it, uh, not just because you do a quick online course on ESG or on sustainability, or you go to a week-long sustainability leadership course, does not make you a subject matter expert. And we have learned with COVID where suddenly everyone became a, med- became a doctor and uh, gave advice about uh, how to best defeat the virus. That is very dangerous. We need to listen to expert knowledge. Just because you know that the Arctic is melting doesn't make you a climate expert, doesn't make you a climate scientist. Just because you know that the Amazon is burning doesn't make you a biodiversity specialist. Just because uh, you know there's uh, gender discrimination doesn't make you a gender expert. So we need to be very clear that we rely on true expert knowledge. And I have to say that uh, even though there's a sincere wish to get more informed, a lot of people from the financial sector are not ESG experts. They do not. They learned about business, about finance, about uh, uh, accounting, about management. That does not make you an ESG expert. And just as I do not claim to be, for example, an, a financial engineer or a financial expert, I rely on them. And it is very important to know your own limitations and then to start collaborating. So, in terms of medical advice from COVID, we learned we need to listen to the scientists, to the experts. The same goes for ESG. The second part is the importance of data. We see it with the testing. So some countries claim they have very good, but uh, they have 
uh, managed the COVID crisis very well, but then we find out they did not test a lot. So if you do not test, if you don't have any data, of course, it will look good. And the same is with ESG. If you don't collect any data, then it is very hard to say what the actual impact was. So we need to first collect data and second, also look at the quality of the data. So how was the data collected? How is it published? There can be a lot of confusion. So for example, the, the charts that you see, many people do not know that it uses a logarithmic scale uh, in, in, show, in uh, showing, for example, infection rates or deaths. So then some countries look very well versus others. But those are very important parts that we learn in terms of how to represent in terms of statistics, but also data collection. And the same goes for ESG data. Then the final thing is uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the risks, we see how quickly events in one part of the world can quickly spread to another part of the world and how supply chains can be affected. So it shows us the vulnerability of the entire economic system and how quickly, for example, climate-related risks can spread and affect supply chains, global supply chains. And that is the learning. So, for example, if you do address those, then we come to the opportunities. If you address those risks, if you collaborate with experts, or if you integrate experts in your sustainability teams, and you have a good mix between financial experts and environmental, social, and governance experts, you will get good results. Then the second part, if you are earnest about collecting quality data, if you try to establish a proper uh, infrastructure, proper, proper structures to collect data and to evaluate data, it will be all the more better in order to handle these risks. And then finally, in terms of supply chains or your business model, if you look at ESG factors and you address them early on by, for example, having a diverse uh, gender uh, balance, a good gender balance, or for example, mitigating your environmental impact, it shows that now the funds, those funds or those uh, indexes that were ESG related outperformed their peers. So during the crisis, for example, because they have less investments in oil and gas, which have seen drops recently, or for example, airline companies, uh, automobile transportation, but also, for example, generally commodities. So we see that ESG, if you go, uh, if you are uh, earnest about it and you integrate it in a an, uh, in an, uh, uh, straightforward manner, then you will get uh, the results also in terms of better alpha and especially better beta. So in terms of higher returns, but also much more less volatility and better risk mitigation in your portfolios. So there's definitely the opportunity. So ESG has basically been and uh, the canary in the coal mine, uh, or COVID has basically been the canary in the coal mine. It has shown us that the risks are real and that ESG can be a great instrument to manage those risks and to also improve your returns uh, in a shock scenario. It was a pleasure again uh, catching up with you on all these exciting uh, uh, topics of ESG and sustainable finance. As we progress in this new world and our new way of investing, but also working with the COVID uh, crisis uh, over the next month, hopefully we can catch up again soon and see what you've been up to in Tokyo and what the future will bring. Definitely. Thank you very much for having me again. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com 
and see you next time. Thank you.